We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by rickrungood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be discussing on this podcast can be found over at rickrungood.com. Now is an incredible time to sign up. We got the U.S. Open coming up next week. Um, Ton of great content on this podcast feed, exclusive to the website, coming up in the upcoming days. We have got all of the stats, tools, projections, ownership projections, lineup generator, model builder, uh, corn fairy tour stats, Euro stats, live results, player profiles for everyone. It's all in there at rickrungood.com. It is the largest fantasy focus and betting golf statistical database on the internet. So if you got to do a lot of prep for the U S open, if you're trying to figure out what's going on at LACC, I highly, highly recommend you give the weekly pot pass a shot. I think it's like $7 for the week and you get all of my premium content, including a very, very extensive written breakdown of LACC everything that I'm putting in my model, and so much more. Plus, all of my DraftKings final thoughts, ownership, uh, weather, um, core plays, all that good stuff will be uh, up on the website on Wednesday of U.S. Open Week as well. So now is an incredible time to sign up. Promo code ANDY, that is the important part. If you want to help me out, you can just type that in in the coupon code section, and we would love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast, uh, a guy I talk to all the time and have been talking to a bunch more recently, uh, I went on his show a couple weeks ago, um, wanted to get him on this one as well to talk uh, RBC Canadian Open. Uh, he is a Canadian himself. I'm talking about Tyler Tambolin, co-founder of Ship It Nation, as well as probably heard him a bunch on Mayo Media Network as well. Uh, so one of my favorite guys to talk golf with, incredibly excited to have him on this podcast feed for the first time uh, at his uh, native Open, an event that I'm pretty excited for on a golf course that we have never seen before. Love these weeks. I uh, feel like I have 
some of my biggest edges on weeks like this when there actually is no data for the golf course. Um, so we run through the entire DraftKings slate, talk about the golf course a little bit, um, and a bunch more. Is a good one. All right. Without further ado, let's bring on Tambo. All right. Tyler Tambo is here. His National Open. We're talking RBC Canadian Open this week. We got to talk, we got to talk on your podcast with Kenny. I got to fill in with Kenny a couple of weeks ago. Wanted you to come back on mine because that I just really enjoyed breaking down the DraftKings slate with you. So we got a bunch to get to this week, but weeks like this, man, we were just talking about it a touch off air. Like you kind of either love them or you hate them. I kind of love him. I feel like I feel like you kind of can almost formulate the biggest edge on weeks like this, and either your edge is really right and you have the potential to score big time, or you're wrong and it just ends up being another week like all the other ones. Yeah. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me on. Excited to be on this one with you. Go to podcast, listen every week, Inside Golf podca- Podcast. So happy to be here. But you said it best, and I honestly think, Andy, the first time I ever – listen to your podcast was a week you were discussing that. I don't recall who it was with, but I do remember you saying like these types of weeks and sort of where I leached onto it says like, these are what I call lazy weeks. We have a setup here. We're coming off a great week of Memorial, big Victor Hovland win, lots going on, designated event, elevated field, whatever you want to call it. And then you hop into the Canadian open, which is fun because a lot of people in the space, you know, Mayo, Feinberg, myself, others that are Canadian, there's others too. I'm just saying like that most people know and listen to that are in this crew have this event, but it's really all about next week, the U.S. Open. I I love it. I talk about it all the time. The Masters, traditional, special. The Open, awesome every year of staying up late and being up overnight. But the U.S. Open is mine. I I love the U.S. Open. It's my favorite. But these are the weeks where you can have a lull period of people just sort of picking and choosing their spots. You talked with your friend Kobe on here a few times about, you know, just avoiding all the chalk. Maybe that's a thing on a week like this because there's some (laughs) stuff going on with some of the potential chalk here. And I'm sure we'll get to it when we hop into it. Yeah. I mean, you're dead right in terms of, well, first of all, the thing that's interesting to me is like the major content cycle is now a two week thing. So it's like, like I'm recording my US Open preview pod with Bamford tomorrow morning and putting it out, I think on Wednesday night or Thursday morning. I know you guys do your, when Mayo does his DraftKings show, you basically do it when pricing drops and pricing drops for the majors. It's coming out the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the week prior. So you have this kind of weird in-between week where don't really know what the interest level is. I didn't love the contests I was seeing, but maybe that's just in comparison to like a really high interest level week at Memorial. And then this one being jammed in before the U S open. But like you said, like, I think weeks like this, if you get them right, I think there's the biggest, biggest potential for payout because even on a week like Memorial last week, like I, there were some things that I definitely felt differently about the golf course than some other people and other podcasts and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like the information so good out there at this point, and so many people are like getting so much better at sifting through what matters. Like, you know, this better than anyone else, but like guys that were sneaky plays five years ago are no longer going to be sneaky plays. And like guys that were, would have been like mega, mega chalk in the past. People are starting to see the warning signs. So I'm curious on a week like this. And I gotta, I want to ask you, I want to start by asking you this question. Cause I was hand up. I was kind of on the road all day visiting my girlfriend's parents in Napa. So I didn't get to like 
listen to anything really. I did my full breakdown of the course this prior weekend. So I know what I think, but what are people, what do you think people are saying about this course? What What do you think the narrative is going to be this week, if any? Yeah, it's going to see how, it's interesting to see how it will shift, but yeah, definitely coming in, you know, me, the tidbits, everything I do, listening to everything, reading everything. The early thoughts here are pretty straightforward. The rough is really thick. The last yep. team went thought of is that Feinberg's out at the course today. So people have seen pictures of it and guys hitting out of it still very thick, especially around the greens. And so I think people are just setting it up as get it out there in the fairway, get it up tight. The wedge game, the thoughts of Rory on Sunday, having no wedge game and now right. coming in a little bit cold. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I think that is the main theme where I'm wondering if it shifts is do people. And again, I'm, I can't wait to get your thoughts because it's a new course. That's the other thing that's great about this. No one really knows. So kind of good week yeah. to take your chances and go a different way with it. Or even if you want to build in sets and have, you know, 50 lineups dedicated this way, a hundred that way, if you do 150, I think that's something you could do. But the other theme, Andy, is that people are saying that maybe because of that, we end up seeing a little bit of just a bomb and gouge and who cares? Like just, but even if they trim it down an inch or two before it actually goes out Thursday morning, Boom, put it out there. You're up there. You're closer. Get it in and then score. But the the overall theme is that they're still going to be scoring no matter what happens. 20 under is the number I'm hearing. Yeah. So, okay. Interesting. So I was thinking about this last year as it regarded to St. George's, which was the another golf course that we didn't really have anything on. I mean, they played it in 2010. I think Carl Pedersen won or something, but I was thinking about last year and I went back to look at what I said about the golf course and what other people said about the golf course last year. And because I, I think there's an interesting kind of corollary between St. George's and Oakdale. I don't think they're perfect comps, but they were both, literally designed by Stanley Thompson, Robbie Robinson, and Ian Andrew. All those guys kind of came in in succession to the exact same golf courses. Stanley Thompson was the original guy, and he has a distinctive style with the way he bunkers golf courses and stuff like that. Then Robbie Robinson came in. Then Ian Andrew came in to both golf courses and did a restoration. So they were literally not just designed by the same guys, but they were restored by the same guys too. And I looked last year and... You know, I thought that it was going to be kind of colonial vibes, short, positional, tree lined, thick, rough, you know, a golf course where all types of players can compete, colonial, Sedgefield. And that wasn't incorrect. I mean, you look at the, you dive into the numbers and the missed fairway penalty here was really high, right? Like if you missed in the rough, it was one of the highest missed fairway penalties on the PGA Tour. On the other token, you look at the leaderboard and it's like Rory, Tony Finau, Sam Burns, Wyndham Clark, Keith Mitchell, a lot of shorter guys, a lot of shorter guys in there too, but, but, but there, they were able to hit the ball a really freaking long way on a golf course that I thought was going to be relatively challenging based on the rough. I mean, we had that same thing going on Tambo last time where people were talking about the rough and the narrow fairways and stuff like that. And then Rory had no problem getting to 19 under the one thing I will say about Oakdale, this golf course is objectively easier than St. George's. I, I feel strongly and comfortable about that take. I don't know if 
the, that means the winning score is going to be 10 strokes easier. It might be one stroke easier, or three to four strokes easier. But I think it's interesting to look at what we thought about St. George's, what happened about St. George's, and how that could mimic this week. And while I'm not in the position of ever on any golf course, only favor bombers, only favor short hitters, I think you get into a lot of trouble when you get that black and white with your narratives. But to me, the way that I'm looking at it is this is going to be a lot like St. George's, if anything, a little bit slightly easier, right? Like this is a big, easy scoring conditions week. Birdies are better gained. I'm not as concerned with whether you hit it long or short. I'm more concerned with have, do you have a lot of history and experience playing well on these golf courses that require you potentially to get to 22, 25 under par? How have you been at Detroit golf club? How have you been at TPC Craig Ranch? Like those other bent grass birdie fest, stuff like that. So that was kind of what I was thinking, but I'm very, I'm very interested to see if people go all, all out on the bomber stuff. Cause that feels, it still feels like a bit of an overcorrection to me. Yeah. That's what I'm waiting to see as well. I think you nailed it perfectly there. The, the potential for an overcorrection where people just decide that because of some of the news that's out there or a couple things they see on Twitter or whatever it may be. And then in the end, you have people on all the wrong stuff because of that, or somewhat that sense where again, it's also going to be a week where I think you see a lot of the, the same roster construction. I know, you know, I was right. talking today earlier with Mayo, but we do some of those lineup builds out just to see where people are landing. And that bottom seven to 7.5 K range is just getting crushed this week with picks because the lower 6k range not very solid the upper 7k range is a hum-ha of certain guys the 8k range is sort of going overlooked completely by the looks of it and then in the 9k's people that aren't going with Rory are going like that Rose Fleetwood Lowry like it's got to be these European guys they make the perfect sense so it's that's how roster construction shaking out I think we see a really low 6 to 6 again and like you said some sometimes just going after it from a different direction and sticking to your plan and not what everybody else is talking about is the best way to go about it especially on a course we can make some of these comps to but we we definitely have not seen it we will get to see it again 2026 so this is the the appetizer of the preview but it is interesting coming into the week on how it's going to actually shift the narrative as the week goes on yeah the thing that i feel best the thing that i feel most confident in is like where the winning score will come in i'm like very confident that this will be easier than st george's not by a mile but you know i was i was talking to jeff about this and i i asked him like do you think that they were they had hosting a professional golf tournament at this golf course in mind. And he was like, no, not really. They really wanted something that was close to Toronto. It's a really good venue for hospitality. It can fit a lot of people. They have a lot of parking and it's really nice. It's a really nice Stanley Thompson design too, but they've basically made this golf course as hard as they can, which is what happens a lot of times. Like, you know, this happened at the Mexico golf course too, Vedanta Vallarta. Like they made that golf course as hard as they possibly can. But the reality of the situation is, is that some golf courses are just not meant to host professional golf tournaments at this point with the way that technology is. And that's, I don't want to get into the whole like rollback discussion too, but like that, the reality of the situation is the way that how good these guys are. Some golf courses are just not necessarily meant to host the best players in the world. And so the one thing that I feel better about, cause I don't, I couldn't get a read on how narrow these fairways actually are because, you know, people get this mixed up all the time where they think, 
wider fairways is bomb and gouge. It's narrow fairways that's bomb and gouge. Because if you get the fairways so narrow, like Oak Hill and Winkfoot and all those golf courses, then Colin Morikawa and Corey Connors lose their advantage because, and, and it becomes about consequence of misses, right? Can, are, are you, are you, you know, if Colin Morikawa misses a fairway by two yards and Bryson misses a fairway by 20 yards and Bryson doesn't get penalized much more for his 20 yard miss than Colin's two yards miss, then Colin's the one that ends up getting fucked. Right. So I, I, I feel more confident in guys are going to be able to score here than I do like, Oh, this is really necessarily going to favor a bomber or a short hitter, but I want to use that to transition into Rory at the top and, and kind of kind of try and figure out like, what is public consensus on this guy right now? I have my opinion. I have my concerns, but the guy's 11.5. There's a 1,000 yard gap before you get to Sam Burns. And there's only other one guy in the 10K range at Hatton. So, you know, in other scenarios, if it was Scotty Scheffler in Rory McElroy's place this week or John Rahm in Rory McElroy's place this week, you're probably looking at a 35, 40% guy. But I just don't know where, you know, when No Lang Up and Kyle Porter are tweeting too about how a terrible Rory's wedge game is like what, where do you think the consensus is on Rory right now? Two-time defending champion at 11.5. Yeah. I think that's the the key, right? It's kind of the first part you said where the, there is the gap and there is that, but I think what happens is now you, you talked earlier about the game evolving the DFS game. That isn't just people continue to, they're not going to be fooled by this. I think he'll still get back. The only thing I wonder, Andy is do, does he stay in check. And what I mean by that is mm-hmm. let's go back to last week. He didn't choke it away or anything. There was so many guys in contention. Anything could have happened down the stretch. He definitely blew an opportunity. You would expect Rory to come out and do better than that. Maybe get himself into the winner's column, get that handshake from Jack, but he did not. And so if he wins, of course, coming into this, even with the same setup, the pricing, everything, he's much more popular than he might be. But I still think we see a 30% Rory here. It's just the nature of it. And like I said, looking at builds, it is still very easy to build Rory lineups that you can feel comfortable with throughout that and stay up in the seven K's and above and all that. So that's the one reason I think it still comes in at that. The other thing is there is some, some already some conversation around, well, it was very windy on Sunday and Rory's wedges and he flights it high and all this stuff. So at the same time, while those people are saying wedges look bad and you know, all the guys mentioning that you can go look up on the stat sites out there on all of them. And they're still going to show that it's not, horrendous versus what it takes versus this field at a course, like you said, that could just get crushed or should get crushed to your point by the, the best golfers in the world, regardless of what talent level you want to say. See, there's 10 of the world's top 30. So, I mean, there's definitely enough guys here to do the damage. I, I think Rory gets capped in the sense he's not going to be like 40% plus, but I don't know in single entry and stuff like that. He might still be if people just come around to it. And most of the projection sites out there do like Rory. So I, I suspect people will still get to him here. From a model perspective, he's still probably number one for anybody that's rolling, that's running a model. And the thing that I always feel and say about Rory, and the reason why I call him like a Rorschach test is there's always too great of an overreaction in one scenario with Rory, whether it's positive or negative, right? It's like, it's either like Rory sucks or he's going to conquer the world. And like, listen, the take coming out of Oak Hill, the correct take is there were many positives that you could draw from that performance. There were many negatives that you can draw for that performance. Really just depends what slant that you want to put on it. That's the same thing with the memorial here, right? It's like 
there were negatives. Let's not ignore them. There were definitely positives too. Let's not ignore those too. The positives that I would say coming out of Memorial, the driver looked fucking way better than it did at Oak Hill. He looked way more confident with his driver. You're that's not a terrible take about like how high he flights the ball too. And he still is going to have way more. He still hit a lot more long irons at a golf course like Memorial than like a lot of the time at St. at, uh, at Oakdale, there's a lot of like 360 yard par fours at Oakdale. I think there's like four par fours under 370 yards plus three par fives. That is maybe four par fives now. Cause I think 18 actually is a par five Rory's actually like when I mapped out the course, I didn't find a lot of like shots from 100 to 150. I found a couple decent long iron ones. And then I think a lot of a guy like Rory, who's driving the ball 340 these days, Rory's going to have a lot of like 30 yard shots, like on some of these par fours. If he's hitting driver, like these are going to be chips up to the green and stuff like that. They're not going to be those full 100 to 150 yard wedges that he was really struggling with both at Oak Hill and Memorial. Right. So I think he's going to hit different golf shots at this golf course than he did at Memorial much different because Memorial was super, super firm and fast too. Right. But the negative too, as well is, you know, the guy's 11.5 K and this is a golf course where you really, I think got a score. And is Rory's putter good enough right now to keep up in a 22-23 under a golf tournament? It could be. It has been in the past. But, you know, this is still a golf course that I really think a guy, you know, guys that maybe don't have much t- as tee to green talent as Rory could still find be able to compete if they get a hot putter. So the question you have to ask yourself is, do I want to pay that price do I want to pay that high ownership on a guy where I actually think that how good he is from T to green might be a little bit mid like the Delta that Rory is able to create at a golf course like Oak Hill or LACC or Muirfield village between him and say another guy that drives it three thirty, Nikolai Hoshgard is far greater than the Delta between what Rory's able to do on this golf course and what Nikolai Hoshgard is able to do on this golf course too. So like if I gave you 25% on Rory, are you going over maybe 28% I would put as the over under? Are you going over or under on that? And do I think he'll be owned more than that? I would say yes. over. over. So you think he's in the low 30s? It feels that way, yeah. I, I still think he gets there. Yeah, By the way, I love that you threw an LACC for, for, for a quick <laughs> second. There you go. And at LACC next week. But yeah, yeah, okay. We'll see. But I mean, this week is funny for that because we'll see how he does and goes there. But you nailed it. And we've seen this. It's funny because you brought up the Mexico Open earlier, just as not necessarily as comparison, but just to bring up an example and the idea of what happened there the, the first year. Rom got, got out. He got the job done, but barely. And it was, again, you can say it, you know, the, the Fast and the Furious intro mile doesn't matter. Winning's winning. Sure. But you look at the perspective that this spot, if anything goes wrong for Rory, it's not about he's 11-5, so he needs to win. That always gets brought up. There's guys behind him that it also depends on what they do. But to your point, when you got the best players in the world, you've got the scoring opportunities, all this stuff out there, there is definitely a scenario where Rory doesn't do enough. I mean, even last week, Scheffler, totally different course setup, just a quick tidbit, but like Scheffler was right up there, should have won. That's 
whole nother topic about his ball striking versus putting. But the point being, he was very expensive. And the winning lineup in the $20 last week was actually duplicated. And it was Victor Hovland as the highest guy at 9,700. Four 8K guys with like the, you know, Denny was at 79. I think I can't remember, but like Siwoo and Wyndham Clark and those guys. And so even with Scheffler being up there, he, if he had a one, it might've changed things, but the builds just had to work out to make sense. The challenge here, like you said, while there is guys in that 7K range you could get to, the 6K range is not very strong. So if you're committing to Rory, you're kind of just looking for all these different combinations, hoping it's right, and then hoping that he does beat that Delta that you just talked about. That I agree with you, is a much slimmer Delta than something at like a major or over four straight days of tough golf where guys like him, Rom, the Shefflers of the world, can excel for three days and still win by five if everything goes their way. So it's just one of those setups that you got to be careful with it. That's the thing too, that I think a lot of people don't always understand, like a, a kind of an outside the box question for you. But if you're playing, if you're heavy on Rory, if you're 60, 70, 80%, maybe a hundred percent on a 33 ish percent Rory McElroy. And I told you right now, he finishes seventh in DraftKings scoring. Are you taking that? Are you happy with that? It's yeah, you're telling me it up front, it's, but I mean, it, it's like a I complicated question. I know that there are other variables in play, but if I just told you right off the bat, you're going heavy on Rory and the guy finishes seventh in DraftKings scoring, are you signing for that? Yeah, I don't think so. And the only reason me I neither. say it, and it's tournament dependent, and the reason I'll yes. tell you here. Is because I also think with the talent, much like last year where we saw the cream rise to the top, even though you talked earlier about the delta of like a Hoygaard versus a Rory makes perfect sense. My point is that's also what can be built into it. But when you have guys behind him like Burns, Hatton, Mm -hmm. uh, Rose, Fleetwood, Lowry, Cameron Young, Thigala, guys like that that can really score as well. I think there's definitely an opportunity that more of those guys come in above. And if that's the case, the value plays are still fitting in too. It's if I've got two or three of those guys above Rory, my roster construction setup would probably lean to the same value guys, but Rory probably not being enough. If you told me he's third, then yeah, it feels a lot better because now there's only two spots ahead to beat him with. And then you're getting into some different constructions and stuff. But yeah, I think I would, I would go under on that one. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And that's what's interesting about this field as well is that the nine K and bottom of the 10 K is good. Like these are a lot of really good players. And then, as you mentioned earlier already with like how quickly it drops off, like there are names in, I mean, I would even say from Kuchar down, like there are names in the AK range that I was like, wow, I would have blinked and this guy. Maybe I thought would have been 7,300 and he's 8,700 <laughs> or 8,500. So in terms of these guys in the nine K range, basically from Burns to Kuchar, Do you think that any of these guys emerge as an overwhelming choice, as overwhelming chalk? Or do you think it's really spread out between like Hatton and Connors and Rose and Fleetwood and Lowry and all those guys come in between like 15 and 21? Yeah, that's how I see it. Again, I think Rose is one that would stand out. I think Hatton is what like that get over 20. I think you could easily see Hatton here at 21, 22. I think you could easily see Rose at that same 21, 22. The rest put a range of 15 to 18 on them. And that's what happens. Even Cam Young is going to pop. And again, it's it's the days of old off two missed cuts and some 56 and 51st or whatever it was at those places. I think I had it here, but either way, the point being, yeah, 59th and 51st. But just to say it, I still think people just put it, put it out of their mind. Oh, but those are at tough courses 
His stats look good. If you pull him up over the easy courses that he's played and things like that, he should be able to come through, strength the field, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think it'll be very spread out from Young up to Hatton. I think the ones that come in under Burns, I think just has to, again, unless at the very end, we'll see how the steam goes as the week goes on. People say, oh, I'm just going to move off McElroy to, to Burns in some. Maybe Burns approaches 15, but that still might be fine if Rory's at 30. So, you know, that to me is the, the setup we're looking at here. So Burns, and then I don't know what to do, or I guess I should say, I don't know where Thigala comes in because he's a guy that people love to talk about. I'm yeah. not sure if they love to be about Thigala at 9,200. You know, it's just to want something to be said, but he's definitely been playing some good golf. The The interesting part is when you look at him on the easier courses, it actually hasn't been as strong for him over the last little while as much as, yeah. again, he's been playing some tougher courses too. Yeah. If I gave you, if I told you of that group, if I asked you one guy that's probably your favorite between Burns and Kucher and one guy that you're 90, I know it's Monday night we're recording this, but one guy that you're pretty close to being sure about not playing, where would you go? That's tough. I, I think um, the one challenge I have is with Fitz. I'm really stuck on this guy because again, he looks like he'll come in just under 20%. The numbers don't look good at the easier courses. To your point, when you know what you the score is going to be, and I agree with you, the scores are going to be low. Do you think he's a guy at almost 10K that gets to 20 or, or, or better? And that that's where I kept going back and forth this morning. I thought I loved him. It's my third show today. On the second show, I was like, I don't know. And so I don't. I want to ask you after we're out on Fitz, but guys, I, I think the Cam Young piece, if people are going to go there, he's still, to me, like birdies are better. DK scoring. I all like the Cam Young. I'm looking yeah. at. Yeah. It's just, how do you get different with them? Because again, I think he's still going to get some ownership. And if it ends up being Rory Cam Young lineups, that makes sense. Maybe you got to get a little bit different, but Burns stands out up there. So Cam Young will be the guy I'm in on. Fitz is the one I'm really going back and forth and struggling with. I, I'd love to get your take on him, but I'll, I will say this, Rose, Fleetwood, Lowry, probably Rose, the least of those three, even though he's one of the first bets I made this morning. I liked him from that perspective. When you start seeing the ownership pile in and the guys that are around him, I don't fade just for the ownership. It's, is there comparable pieces that I can just go to there? And I think there's a lot of those guys we said, and Burns, even at 15% still should be pretty good. And he's also a guy that's played better on easier courses. A 16th and a sixth recently is not too bad, not on easier courses, but just to say that he's a guy that could come through at a thousand less than Rory. Yeah, I was going to go for that question and I'll talk about Sahith too after, but I was going to go with, I actually like Fleetwood the least. I think Fleetwood at that, if Fleetwood is getting as much, there's far more statistically for me that I am seeing with Lowry and Rose than I am with Fleetwood. And if they're all going to be similar ownerships, I would probably say Fleetwood I'm good on at like 20%, maybe 18%. And I like Cameron Young too. And I and if I actually had to guess, even with the even with him being a little bit cheaper than those guys, I still think that Cam Young's maybe a little bit closer to 15% than Lowry, Fleetwood, and Rose Hatton are closer to 20%. Just because the guy still has missed the ball striking's been actually fine. He's just been putting objectively terribly. Yeah. Um but, you know, and people will probably use that to say, oh, how can you take a guy that's lost four or five strokes putting in his last two starts to win at a golf course 
that, you know, you need to get to 21, 22 under par. That's like really subject. Like Cameron Young's been awesome at Detroit golf club. Almost when they're awesome at Sanderson farms, like I'm less concerned about, I mean, both his corn fairy tour wins were 19 under par. I'm yeah. less, if he finds the putter, he's going to score on this course. Right. It's, and if he doesn't find the putter, he's going to, he's going to do the exact same. He's not going to be a good play. Right. So it's not it, whether if the winning scores 20 under, it's not, that's not how I, that's not correlated in my mind to cam young's putting stats right now so i think that so i like cam and young a lot sahith is the the sahith is interesting to me as well because i actually do think that there still is a bit of a talent gap between young and Thagala. as disappointing as young has been recently i still think young has so much more upside than the we're talking about a guy that top threed in two of the four majors last year right and i think the thing with sahith is Sahith's wild off the tee, right? And and I have and that's the same reason why I liked him at the Masters, right? And I think he was able to get away with stuff at Oak Hill. And so it's like this golf course does have a lot of trees. I don't know if it's if it if it ends up being a situation where these guys can really let loose and they don't get penalized. Maybe that's the case. But I think for me, like what I would do probably is I would pick young and I would pick young and probably one other guy above him and then like find some way to integrate what I think is going to be an 8k range. And we'll talk about it now that doesn't necessarily get slapped on, but I just think you're right in terms of the way that people are building this week. I guess I'll say there'll be opportunities there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, AK range for sure, but the Cam Young over Fleetwood, I really like that call just because, like you said, first of all, even if somehow Cam Young gets to the ownership, of Fleetwood. I, I like the calls that you made on some of the easier courses that he's played. I like the fact that you talked about, it. I said all the time, look, you're not going to give the guy credit for the open because he had to pump that Eagle down on 18 at St. Andrews. And he got, by the way, he, the he open, it. he got to 17 under par. <laughs> he did it. That's what I mean. Like he still yeah. does exactly what I'm saying. Again, the, the conversation was between Rory and Cam Smith and it was, that was the battle. Rory left enough out there that Cam Smith stuck in Cam Smith played wonderfully that happened. But, but again, Cam Smith did his job. To the end and Rory had to go for it so he came in third but the point was that at the PGA Championship the the Mito meltdown he was right there as well like it was another guy again JT sort of didn't even expect to be where he was you can go watch it on the Netflix documentary if you missed it it just he didn't he had no idea after his Saturday that he would even be in the mix on Sunday so 
Yeah, Cam, Cam Young's talent level, the fact that it's right there. I also like Lowry, who you brought yeah, up. Me and too. Con- Connors is the other interesting one because the just I don't want to go to the 8K range, but the one note I want to say on Connors and get your opinion is just that the, the common sentiment is the obvious. Canadians don't win their own open. Sure. But at 9,800, you could have you could have a you could have a Burns Connors, you could have a Hatton Connors, you could have yeah. Connors Young something and, and have it where you, he doesn't need to be the winner, but someone within the lineup is and he's still up there for a fifth or a sixth place. He's still been playing pretty good lately. And when you go look at some of the metrics and stats at the easier courses that he's played, Connors has still come through. And really, I know, you know, you made the point earlier about the, which is the truth about the narrower fairways and stuff where, you know, the the bomb and gouge really penalizes a guy like him or Morikawa. And it's so true because you're going to have that for everybody missing fairways. You'd at least want to be closer. But Connors is a guy that can still be in the fairway, can be a great ball striker. And that also might not be true too. Like that's what people are going with this week, but I'm not totally sold on that. Yeah, what what was your final take on Fitzpatrick? And then we can go to the eight K range. I'm just curious. Well, I think the case for Fitzpatrick is that he hit the ball really well at Memorial, and it does look like he's going to be lower owned than you know the guys right below him. So if you do love, if you do love, like you could have money left and play three guys in the nines. Like if you wanted to play Fitzpatrick Lowry and Cam Young in the same lineup. I think you could do that and still find ways to get significant leverage. How much money does that leave you with? Do you have it up right now? I can pull it up too. I don't have it up right now, but what is it? It's almost 30K, right? Yeah. Thunder, so you're left Divided down there. Three. You can definitely still build it out, no problem. Yeah. So I think the best case for Fitzpatrick is if we see a situation where Fitzpatrick really starts to get neglected, Compared to Connors, Rose, Fleetwood, Lowry, then I'm in. But like, if you're asking me, would I rather play a 15% Fitzpatrick or a 17% Connors? I'd probably go with Connors. Yeah, you have a good memory for that stuff. The question today was really, could Fitzpatrick or and or Lowry really get to these scores? Like you yeah. said, we know these are going to be the scores. Do you see that? Because that was what I was going to say about Thigala, not to cut you off, but just to say Thigala, really good showdown play. The guy will put up like six birdies and six bogeys in the same round, but on the overall tournament, he's still at even par. That scores well in showdown. Again, not to take away from the goal, he's been incredible in certain spots. I'm just saying, like you said, the Cam Young play for a hundred bucks more, even at more ownership, still rates out better to me because of, like you talked about, getting to the actual number in the end that leads to everything that goes with it. So I do think there is a bit of a talent gap drop off in the 8K range. Um, I think a lot of these guys could win this tournament. Like I've made, I've made some bets in this range, but who would you say again, if I asked you guy, you like the most guy you like the least in the eights, I'm a Joey B Bramlett truther. So yeah, I uh, like him too. It's just the, you know, the setup and obviously coming off something half decent so we can see it here, but he actually doesn't rate out the best for me. It's going to be guys like uh, Keith Mitchell at 8,900. I've got uh, Moronk playing a little bit more over here. So, you know, com- coming in with some better results, I, I could see him. And then we got to have the, you know, the Hoygaard that you situation you brought up. I, I like because the the conversation of Ludwig Aberg, Aberg, sorry, sitting right there at, uh, at 8,300 and the, all the conversation on Twitter around him today. Uh, I put hashtag blame Rose out there. You know, she gets the win on her pro debut. Therefore his numbers slashed at pretty much every book, except I think one. And so, you know, there's big conversation around his name as well and high hopes, but 8,300 bucks. He's also sort of the average price here. What's your thoughts on him? Um, I am usually comfortable being later 
on these guys. Like I think with a guy like Moronk, it's a little bit different because I'm cool with playing Euros that haven't had much success on the PGA Tour because I have data on the European Tour, right? With Aberg, it's a little bit tougher. And he's played on the PGA Tour a few times, so it's not like we have nothing. But I just like, you mentioned Keith Mitchell, like I bet Keith Mitchell at 40 and I bet Moronk at 50. Like I, I like those guys a lot. Um, I don't necessarily like only just like them because they hit the ball a long way. Like I think their, their number in the betting market's fair. Keith Mitchell was a guy I was like really high on, like coming into the season. I was like, Keith Mitchell's winning this year and he's had some good, like couple, I think three top sixes this year. He's had some good high-end finishes. Um, hasn't had the breakthrough spot. This, and he he played really awesome at St. George's too last year. So he likes these kind of Stanley Thompson, similar, similar agronomy type courses. I just think those two guys can win. And I think that if I'm getting a situation where, you know, a lot of the guys in the nines that I like do carry ownership, I do think that you could find some guys in here, make a little bit, make things a little bit more balanced. Nick Taylor's another guy I actually really like. Same with Michael Kim. Um, so I think the way that I'm seeing it right now in terms of building strategy is get get a lot of these guys in. Like I think I may actually go with a somewhat heavy approach in the eights of Mitchell, Moronk, Taylor, and Kim at least and and see how my builds look doing something like that. But yeah, for me, the guys I really like, Mitchell, Moronk, Taylor, Kim, probably a little bit more lukewarm on the Ludwig, Hojgaard. Uh, I think Svensson's a bit overpriced for me too as well. And I think Svensson's going to get the ownership too. The betting market is uh, is getting on him a little bit. I saw him drop from 66 and 70, I think, at some places down. So people are definitely betting it. But yeah. uh, I like the Nick Taylor pivot, pivot to the other Canadian. There's there's lots of Canadians in this field, obviously, but just dropping down a little bit, the Nick Taylor call. And then Michael Kim, hard to deny what he's been doing lately. And we've seen him do well on some of those easier courses too in the past. So don't hate that one either. I think people will have a hard time clicking the button, Michael Kim at 8,000. If he was 7,900, yeah. they'd be happier to go there. And I was just looking too, just trying to see, I didn't see any yet in this range, but this next, this upper 7K range, uh, we've had some U.S. Open qualifiers hop in today, get into the mix. And so they just played 36 holes. Uh, we saw some WDs. Sam Stevens WD'd before we hopped on. He's at 7,500. Sam Ryder a little bit earlier. So we'll see if anything else pops up. You and I had the famous Jordan Spieth WD at the Byron right. Nelson we were recording last time. But yeah, there's there's some guys in this range that got into the, the field today for the U.S. Open. So I'm not sure uh, if they'll WD or if they'll just continue to grind through. But yeah, lot, lots to talk about. Riley gone too, but I think that was before pricing even came out. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the sevens just very early ownership numbers, but it seems like everybody's doing the Eric Cole thing again at 79, huh? Yes, they are. That's for sure. That's what I was saying about the Michael Kim factor, where to me, they're both playing really good golf. Eric Cole definitely looks a little bit better on paper if you go look at it. But I think that difference of just, I always call it best buy pricing. They got Eric Cole's. 7,900, you know, not quite 8,000. You can get them for cheap. It's so uh, people just want to get in on that. And so I'm already seeing him in the double digits just at the top. After that, 75 to 70, Brendan Todd at 79 or the rest of the guys at 78, you're not really seeing much ownership in this range. Yeah. It seems like there will be Paul Hodges, Wu, 
like even Norman, who I kind of like, those guys might be pretty low. But then, as you mentioned earlier, seems like Ben Martin, Mark Hubbard, guys like that are going to carry significant, significant, even Carson Young, I'm seeing a little bit too at 7,100. So I, I think that there could be some opportunities in the middle sevens. If I, if I ask you like, who's your favorite in this zone, I guess of, you know, the between like, you know, Cole and I guess we'll go all the way down to the bottom to the bottom of this range. Give me one or two guys that you're really into this week. Yeah. Well, one guy just, uh, just qualified is, uh, for the U S open is Vincent double R Norman. Love I like him. him. Yeah, yeah. So 7,500, I hope he stays in the field, even if he gets a little boost to, you know, seven to 10 or something, there's, that's fine by me. There's other ways to get different. And then I'm, I'm a pretty sick, pretty much a sicko when it comes to bounce back spots. So there's two here, Aaron Rye and Alex Smalley. Both, yeah. even Brandon Wu, if you want to add him in the mix, those three all kind of, you know, were guys I was interested in last week. But I still think, again, in strength of field, easier course, all those setups, I think there's at least a chance here for them. Alex Smalley really actually has popped on some of the easier courses. So that to me, where last week was ugly, you can bet you can get you can get back in on him. He's 100 bucks less than Eric Cole. And if we loved him last week and he just didn't come through there and now we get him on an easier spot. I don't hate that. The, the difference makers here, Harry Hall. Looks pretty good. I mean, this guy was just in the mix. He can bomb it out there some and then do what he has to do from there. So uh, there, there's definitely some guys. I really do like this upper range, though, Andy, because of what you mentioned. When you get to the bottom and it's Ben Martin, Hubbard, and all the guys that you talked about down there, and I know that the Rory builds land there, I'm just looking for a way to get a little bit different with roster construction. I think going into this upper range, uh, Thorbornson also qualified today. Taylor Pendrith qualified today. Uh, I'm not sure if any Eric Cole actually was one that qualified today too. So there, there's a lot of guys in this range that queued for the U S open, but that also means they're playing good golf. So if they don't WD, I'm not just going off them because they played 36 holes on Monday of a tournament that starts on Thursday. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I do think there are some like definitely bummed that Martin and Hubbard aren't sneaking up on anybody because those were two guys that pop for me statistically, but that probably means that they pop for a lot of people statistically this week. Yeah. Um, I will go back to Akshay. Um, and I'm not like an Akshay truther where I'm wasting money in the outright market on this guy necessarily yet or convinced in 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 kind of that market. But I do think that there's a lot of upso upside with him. There's an element of unknown with him still. Um, we've seen him put together two top five finishes already this year in fields that were really not that much weaker. So if you get him coming off a miscut at Memorial, which was, you know, he was inside the cut line till about the 15th hole on, uh, on Friday. So, you know, I think there's, again, probably just with how like the dearth of options, with how weak this field gets in the bottom range, it's not, you know, he's not going to be a guy that is, you know, sub five, uh, but I don't think he'll be a guy that is like above 10 either at 72. So that that's a guy that I really like as well. Chuck Hoffman is another guy at 7,200. That's quietly been playing some better golf recently. I, I actually think that he will, you know, he will has the potential to get completely like 1% squeeze one to 3% maybe. Um, so those are some guys that I would mention anyone else that you want to throw out in the sevens before we talk about a few guys in the sixes, which I don't have many of, by the way. Yeah. 
The sixes are going to be light for sure. So I'll, I'll say a few more here just to say it. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes, another Canadian that popped yeah. me a little bit. Again, if it does turn into a potting contest, we could see that. Uh, Will Gordon can make birdies at will. Again, it's almost like a cheaper version of some of the guys up above where if he can just make those birdies for it, it depends what those bogeys look like. If you want to be off Ben Martin, I actually you know, was doing some deep dive and, and Ben uh, Ben Griffin actually pops better statistically across the easier courses that they've yeah. played at the same times in some cases. So uh, if you think Ben Martin's going to be popping in ownership and it does look like he will be, Ben Griffin gets interesting. I like your Akshay call. And then SH Kim, again, don't know if he can get to the score, but I mean, he's probably last guy into my lineup at 7,300. Actually played decent on Sunday, I believe last week, just to round out the Memorial. So coming in kind of hot, 7,300. Another guy that popped when I went back and looked at some of the easier courses that actually had a decent sample. And he's that sort of top 20 in some of the stats that I was looking at. So he's another guy that, that went off for me here. Not, not too many other guys, unless you go down right to seven K there's conversation to be had. Ches Reevy, uh, Dylan Wu, some of the other guys there. I like CT Dylan Pan, but I, I really yeah, don't get excited. Call. Yeah. I like yeah, Dylan. He, he's Wu the one too. that I think stood out for me. Yeah. The woos, man, I haven't made a decision on Rory yet. And I'm just looking at just looking through the sexes and looking at the guys I have circled. I mean, it, it, it is tough down here. I guess I can give you, I don't mind Lucas Glover and Chesson Hadley, but man, it gets, it gets weak here real quick. And, and I'm with you. If you're saying you're finishing your lineups at 7,300, I think a lot of mine are going to be pretty 8K intensive and finishing down with some of the guys in the low sevens too, because like I said, I'm probably looking at, and I have no problem on most weeks going down here. It's, it's, you know, I usually have a pool of 20 players and I have no problem having five or six of them each week, sometimes even a little bit more being the 6K range. Not sure I see myself playing more than one or two guys down here. It is tough down here. There's some guys that I'm definitely going to play and have a little bit of interest in that I'll play off. I know a lot of people are talking Kramer Hickok. I get that, but it's tough. Davis Thompson was one that popped out a little bit and was playing okay last week until he wasn't. So he was one that I was interested in. I always play the namesake, Tyler Duncan. Got to get this guy in there some. And easier courses usually pops. You could do like a first round leader or something on him and then you know play it that way instead. But like you said, there's just not a lot down here. People make cases for... Grayson Sig, I heard some Jake Knapp talk. He's a guy at 6,500, played very well lately. I know Grayson Murray, people are talking about coming off the win on the Corn Ferry Tour. And then this past week, he was leading by four, blew it, didn't even make the playoff, uh, missed by one. But still, two back-to-back good weeks for him on, you know, Corn Ferry Tour, extremely tough fields. You got to go low, all those factors. But Jake Knapp was a guy at 6,500 that popped a little bit. And I think he shot a 64 on Sunday. So leading into this, got to be feeling pretty good, but not too much down here. And usually I make the case that the 69, 6,800 guys are solid because they're just priced that way. They could easily have been seven and you wouldn't have blinked an an eye. It doesn't matter. But you know, for me, I'm not seeing too much else down here. So I kind of like, now that I think about it more, Andy, just going back and you mentioned the Rory thing, you do like the, you know, what'd you say? Like a Matt Fitzpatrick, Lowry, Cam Young, you get away with it. If you could just do a Cam Young with your Keith Mitchell, Moronk and somebody else, these are pretty nice lineups. And yeah, Look, in MME, you're probably going to do a bunch of stuff. You got 50 plus lineups or 20 plus. I get you're going to go all over the place. Me too. But in a single entry, I'm saying you can convince me pretty easily, I think, right now to just move off Rory for some of those builds that not only pack 
the safety, at least it feels like of a made cut and some sort of floor it's golf. Anything could happen, but the ceiling is actually still there. It's guys that you would not be surprised on Sunday. If Keith Mitchell was in the mix down the stretch or something like that. So uh, I definitely like those builds just thinking out loud. And when we started doing the math on these things, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Final question. Here's the one that everyone's been waiting for. Would you rather play Mike Weir or Mike Block? Oh, God. I would honestly play Mike Mike Weir just to hope that this goes away. I'm all, I'm Mr. Nice Guy, but man, this story, the one thing about this guy, I'm honest about it, and people hate me for it, I'm sure, because I know he's still getting 150 people following around the course this week and all this. And the story was cool, man. It was. But what wasn't cool to me, like, I don't know, maybe this is just him and he is genuine, but was like, Rory, did you see, did that actually go in? Well, yeah, it went in. The whole crowd <laughs> is going nuts up on the green. It definitely went in. And then he's on another phone call and they're like, yeah, you get Ryder Cup points. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This guy's in like professional golf. He obviously knows he gets those. He tries to play everything off like that. And then came in like such on a high horse and just got brought right back down to earth. It's the way it goes. Great story. I'm not that guy. I'm happy for the man. But when it just gets like the elaborate, you know, bring back and just going on and on about it, come on, just be happy and be grateful, man, and move on. Like, it's great. The people love you. Just stick with that. There's a, there are a lot of Mike Block. Well, there are just, there are a lot of Mike Block quotes uh, that you can pull. I think the one where everyone started to realize, I think probably what you and I saw closer to the beginning um, that made people turn on him was the, the Rory, the infamous now Rory one, where if I could drive the ball like Rory, I'd be able to go crazy well. And you have no idea how good I'd be. The favorite one of mine was, I don't know if people picked up on this one as much because, you know, because the Rory one was so overwhelming and created its own whole content cycle. But what my favorite block quote was after he shoots an 81 on uh Thursday at colonial, he's doing the press conference after and he goes, yeah, you know, that's just golf. And I've shot 59 before. So I guess yeah, the was- guy shoots an 81 in a PGA tour event. And his response to the first question is, well, you know, I've shot 59 before, so you never know. And it's like, dude, on what golf course, maybe, because you seem to struggle quite a bit with this setup and you have played 25 PGA tour events in your career. We actually do have some data on this world-class short game and wedge game that you say would be bet way better than Rory if you could drive the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I hope he enjoys the hell out of this week. Honestly, like I'll say that, he like really enjoy should, it, man. man. It's good for him yeah. for that part. That's that's good en- stuff. Enjoy the week, man. Toronto, I've heard is awesome. You know, have fun out there. Play your best. Probably Mike Weir. I would choose too as well. So <laughs> the heel turn of the, the Mike Block stuff, and then they're like world class short game, and he hit it like four times out of the rough <laughs> and across the green. They're like world class, baby. But next time I blank a slate, I'm gonna post it and just say. But I've won 100K before. Yeah. You, know, that, you just have to always back it up. I got a 59 in the bag one time. Yeah, come on. It's it's what you said. Good for him, though. Good for him. Milk the uh, milk the fame. It's awesome. So I think that's good. I'm, I think I'm good for Canadian Open. I want to do 10 minutes at the end, five, 10 minutes at the end. You started your you started a recent venture. Just tell me how that's going. What are you two or three weeks in to, to ship it? What did you launched before yeah. O'Kill? May 15th, we launched. Yeah, yeah, so yeah right before weeks okay. in now. One week to go. It's been ups and downs, as as any new venture is, I'm sure. There's lots of good publicity out there. Uh, the LOL Show has us covered quite well, but it, it's been awesome, man. It's fun. Uh, it's always something I wanted to do. I've been a part of a lot of other sites doing content. 
it's what I love to do. It's a passion. Of course, now you get people coming out of the woodworks. I don't mind that. Everyone has their own opinion. That's fine. It just, you get, you know, saying like, oh, you only do this for the money, all this, that, and the other. I think people forget that, you know, in everything, there's always some people that just love doing it. I like helping people. I've been doing this for years before I had my own venture. Nobody said anything when I was just working for sites, doing the content, helping people out. I love what I do. Extremely passionate about daily fantasy, especially. So I love that I get to talk about that specifically. Game theory, leverage, correlate, like just going through it and breaking down slates and thinking about it. It's like a new puzzle every single day. And then when you're actually helping people win, you know, 40 bucks into 4,000, things like that. It's just awesome to see. So ups and downs. I think we got the ship, if you will, corrected and uh, looking like we're back on track. So it's been good. Hoop is a great partner to be with. Uh, you know, he's, he knows his stuff. We've got at, right now MLB and PGA. The price is according based on what's going to happen throughout the year. So we're at $59. It was a, you know, we did an introductory price of $49 a month. We're at 59. Many sites charge 80 to 100 or more. The market sets the pricing. People are paying for it. They like the value. And when we've got NFL, NBA, NHL, and more coming with projections and tools and all that. And you've had guests on talk about how important projections are. And I know personally from playing DFS full-time that there's amazing sites out there, ETR, Roto grinders, stochastic, other sites that have projections that people use yeah. that are phenomenal. And, and I'm just saying we've got something a little different. I personally used these projections last year for NBA, ended up having great success on, on the DraftKings setup where I went to the, I got three live final seats using these projections. I ended up scoring almost 150K there. It was a nice return using these. And now I'm just passing those along so other people can use them. We all see them our own way. We're a lot cheaper than most sites. So that's one thing we're trying to be affordable for everybody. And it doesn't take away from those other sites. They're still awesome. I, I definitely think those sites have great projections. I'm just saying this is a little bit more affordable, I think for some, and they're at least unique, you know, in the sense that, you know, it doesn't, again, people use those because they're the quote unquote best, but everyone says each of the site they represent is the best. We're just trying to bring something a little bit different. I personally use them and I've had good success with them. I've been very happy. Uh, I think a lot of the people that have joined us, it's been a, a tremendous launch so far where the first 30 days people are loving it the support has been awesome even through some of the ups and downs and yeah man we're very happy i appreciate you letting me chat about it for a few minutes on here it's definitely some exciting stuff for me at least you know i'm always curious when there's a new venture that gets launched in particularly this industry the dfs space i'm always curious about the pushback i wonder if do you think the pushback is more so because people are like, oh, we don't need another tout site. The space is already oversaturated because they're obviously, you know, it's just a factual statement that there's way more tools and data and things that you can pay for available than there were like five to 10 years ago, even two or three years ago. Yeah. My hot take is I still think that if you're starting DFS companies, I actually still think that you're early um, in terms of what this actually could be with in betting in general. I, I I think betting is we talked about this before off air too, but I, I actually think that this is going to grow to a lot bigger than what it is. So do you think that some of the pushback that because it's not just you guys when you start a new site, like it happens every single time there is a new venture in the space that requires you to pay money. I wonder if it's like, we don't need another tout site. It's already too oversaturated. Or if it's kind of a like, Hey, like I shouldn't have to pay for this thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a big thing. And one thing, again, myself getting into it, wanting to put my own ideas behind it, my own one-liners, all my stuff, I always spin. But there's a lot of free information out there. My focus is, on, is more on transformation than free information. And that does come with a little bit of a cost. If you, people go, I use this example, and people probably make fun of it, sure. But you go to the gym on your own. Some people can get up every day at whatever time they get up and go to the gym and come back and eat right and have a protein shake and do it all. Other people decide, I need to get some accountability. I need to get some process. I need to learn. I'm going to hire somebody to get me a meal plan. I'm going to hire somebody to help me learn a workout plan and take care of me and support it. That's what I'm trying to bring more. I think the biggest negativity in the entire space is around touts and tout sites and things like that, where it's just simply people talking, hot takes and picks. That's the last thing I'm known for. Like in the sense I've been, I've, I do 90% of my stuff has always been free content. I do any show anybody ever asked me to come on. I want to support the space and the industry as much as possible to grow it, to try and help people have fun and make money. I was doing that when I worked a full-time job with a wife and going to the, the dealership, working in the car industry all the time, I was coming home, staying up late at night, trying to learn from these sites as well and get the information and try and get better. I, I've got all the receipts of asking for help on roto grinders in the in the DMs, trying to find somebody to help me out. Could you get coaching? I've had people. I, I paid uh, Dave Potts, cheese is good, to learn about baseball, and paid coaching out per hour to try and get better. I was looking. I don't do that. I don't even offer that. Most of the stuff that I do is mm -hmm. for free. But this is one place at an affordable price. And really, when people see it as oh, you're just some scamming tout site to be able to get money for picks. If you've got all this money, why would you do this? Most of our site, eighty percent, we do two premium shows, a golf one and an, and an NFL one that doesn't even exist yet. It's when the season starts. So almost all our shows are free. What we want is the self-serve tools for you to be able, everyone's all oh, trust the process. What process? Most people don't have any. They have no idea where to start for single entry, three max, 20 max, 150. How do I use an optimizer? Learning all this stuff. That's what we're about. Transformation from point A to whatever. If I'm at this and you're at that to help try and get you to a level, you feel comfortable going in and playing DFS at a little bit higher level against the competition and remembering that not everybody can afford those other sites that I mentioned earlier. And we still have tools, projections, all the stuff that you don't necessarily need my picks and plays. That's more of like a, you know, you got five minutes when you get off work, who's Tambo on this week for golf. Let me go find out. I still put that up, but that's not the meat and potatoes of the site and what we've got going on at Ship It Nation. The idea is tools, projections, support community to be able to be there to help guide you as you learn and have questions and want to get better to be a better player. People can't see that for what it is. That's fine by me. People know me by now. I think my reputation stands for itself. I'm there to help people. I always have been. I always will be. And that just comes with it. It's the fastest way to be able to help a lot of people versus going out and trying to do a one-on-one -on -one coaching package or something, trading it all off. I can help tons of people now and have people get better at the game, hopefully tell their friends about it and continue to grow the game, which is what I've always been about. I want more Millie makers. I want more yeah. big prize pools that we can all play. I think everybody, even the, the people that don't or the, the ones that have negativity or don't agree with this, they would still want these contests. And if they, even if they think I suck and I'm, we're bringing more fish into the space, isn't that better for you too? So I, I don't know why people always, everyone's always got an opinion. You know, the saying about that, but I'm okay with it. I, I really do love what I do. And I think there's a lot of great people out there that appreciate it and have been supporting us since day one. And I expect that to continue. I love it. Yeah. You know, I think one of the theories I have on it too, is that a lot of people don't really understand the investment of what, what it takes to be good at DFS in terms of the sample sizes that people should be looking at. So like, for example, and I'm, I've been pretty lucky in the sense of like, I don't really 
I have a really great community in terms of the people that ask me questions at Rick Run Good and stuff like that. And I don't really get a ton of hate or anything like that. I usually, people are very appreciative of the information that I provide. The one time that I did get a lot of hate slash pushback was when I was very anti Brooks at the PGA. And then obviously Brooks wins the PGA, which ironically was one of the best DFS weeks I've ever had in my entire career. That was a a, a tough understanding for people that you can get the winner completely wrong and still have an awesome week in DraftKings. And I think the thing with DraftKings that I try and encourage people, and I think this is probably what you're going for too, with a lot of stuff that you're doing at Ship It Nation is like, I always tell people that DraftKings is such a long game in the sense that it's the only game that you play that you can lose 30 out of 32 weeks in the year and have a profitable season, right? Like you can literally lose 80, 90, 95% of the time. And if you're a GPP guy, all it takes is one hit doing one thing correctly. Right. And I think a lot of people do a lot of judging based on weekly sample sizes when what you should be doing is accepting upfront that, hey, if you're going to do the DFS thing, if you're going to invest in DFS, you just have to understand the game that you're playing. And you just have to be comfortable with taking stands, playing aggressively, fading certain narratives, being wrong a lot, being wrong over 50% of the time. Being wrong over 85% of the time, right? Sometimes that is the case as well, right? And so I think a lot of people look at DFS, and I think that's why the tout stuff gets a bad reputation when it comes to DFS, because it's so easy to take all these tiny sample sizes and say, oh, look how wrong you were this week. Look how wrong you were that week. When the reality is of DFS is like, you're supposed to be wrong most of the time. If you're playing aggressively and you're playing GPPs and you're playing to win big money, which you already have a proven track record of doing, like most of the weeks you have to understand that you should not make a decision about whether somebody's good at DFS or bad at DFS or whether your strategy's working in DFS or whether it's not working in DFS. You should make those decisions like at the end of a season, right? Like if you're going to sure. switch if you're going to switch if you're going to switch a strategy do that strategy for a month don't do it for a week right if you're going to you get what i'm saying right and i think there's this misconception where um people don't really understand what the game of dfs is i know it's different if you're like a cash game guy but the reality of the situation with dfs is you're making an investment where you need to be comfortable Playing this game that is inherently so aggressive and is inherently built for you to lose 85 to 90% of the time. And I still think so many people don't understand that. They really don't. And that's a great point you brought up. Like, we don't know if I wanted just to take all the money in the world and get us, if I was just here to get money from people, we have no daily packages. Yeah. And most of the industry has weekly packages. We don't even sell weekly. You're either in for a month or you're in for a year. There's no other option. And I'm okay with that. I leave a bunch of revenue on the table by not having a weekly package, but right. it's because I want you to understand that long game. I want you to understand there's going to be time you have to put in the same thing. I always talk about nobody cares. Work hard. You got to put the work in, right? And that's the kind of the idea we're setting up behind. If I wanted to just do weekly packages, I could and make more money, but people hop in, hop out and, oh, he sucked. I went in for a week. It didn't work. It's not that I don't want the pushback as much as I, or the money. I'm just saying, I think it's better that you set it up where people understand it is a long game to your point. And you made another great point that that's the point of a community. I know that word got tossed around way too much during COVID and stuff like that, the community buzzword. 
but it's, you have a great group of friends. I'm a friend of yours. You're a friend of mine. We can talk about DFS. We have other good friends that play high level that we can talk to and learn from and get better and gain ideas and theories and all this. Lots of people don't have that. I almost have no friends personally around me that I could ever talk DFS with because they just don't get it. Oh, what do you do? You right. do this or how does that work? They throw in or they learned about it and now they'll play 10, 20 bucks and send me texts all the time about picks, but they don't fully get it. That's what we're trying to ingrain is that it's different than just signing up. You're not signing up for picks and plays and the price is $59 a month. That ends next Monday. But if you want to check it out again, thanks for letting me share it, Andy, but shipitnation.com. You can check it out. Shoot me up a D hit me a DM at Totag and Tambo on Twitter. DMs are open. You can hit me up anytime. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, always open to help. I, I pretty much answer every single person that hits me up in DMs on Twitter, unless something crazy goes on. I've always been that way. And I think that people appreciate that. Okay. So we'll get out on that. Anything else? You talked about Ship It Nation a little bit. Anything else you got going on this week outside of Ship It? You do a show. You do a show with Hoop right on Wednesdays, yeah. I want Wednesday, to say, too. And, a, then, and then what else show. is the Mayo Mayo stuff you got going on this Mayo's week? Mayo's going to come out on Wednesday. We did the in-studio show. So that's uh, this week, it's the first look. Back to next week, it'll be same as always. So we'll be in there early on Wednesday. It comes out around Wednesday at lunchtime or 11 a.m. Eastern or whatever it might be. Uh, the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast, just record that with my guy, Kenny Kim. That will be out shortly, um, it's probably Monday evening. So that's going to be good. Just went through it, broke it down. So a lot, lots going on right now, but uh, really do appreciate you having me on, Andy. This was one, uh, you've, had, you've had a lot of great guests and a lot of great shows that I love to listen to. So happy to be a part of it. And thanks again for hopping on ours and filling in a few weeks back. We'll probably have more shows possibly in the future. Yeah, absolutely. We'll tease there at the end. It was good to have you, buddy, and we'll do it again soon. All right, that is it for the podcast. We will be back on this feed. Ton of extra stuff with the US Open. Uh I am this podcast that you're just listening to came out on Tuesday morning means I've already recorded a deep dive into LACC with none other than Steve Bamford. We ran it back after a very successful uh Oak Hill podcast together. Um and that'll be coming out in the next 48 hours probably, honestly. I'm going to talk more about LACC with Joseph Lamagna. Um I'm going to talk about my betting picks as well and probably a little bit of a solo podcast as well. Um, and then we'll have Kobe on, obviously, for the DraftKings show, which we'll probably record on Monday night or Tuesday morning. So ton of extra episodes on uh, on this feed. So be on the lookout. We are uh, diving very deep into LACC. Uh top five golf course for me that I've ever played in my life, a golf course that I think has the potential to be the best, not just us open, but us open and PGA venue, uh, that we have seen in recent memory. Um, I, I feel that strongly about the course, um, and love it that much. So incredibly, incredibly excited to break, all of that down in the upcoming weeks. Another tournament I will be at, probably be at some of the practice rounds as well. So I'll be sharing a ton of great content on LACC coming up in, yeah, next couple, 10 days, basically. Uh, until then, best of luck with your bets this weekend. And uh, we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack 
And the dead in the back road stop.